the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Today we begin a new series. Uh, It'll make more sense as we go, but it's called Fruit Salad. So there you go. Uh, Just throw that out. But at this time of the year, what we really focus on every year as we start the fall programs as school starts back up as our church stuff starts we always want to remind ourselves in one way or another that our faith is authentic and that we've got to live it authentically but by the fact that it's authentic it means that it's real it's based on facts it's based on truth this is not something we made up we have our own spin on different things we all like different songs and different colors of carpet or whatever but the the truth that we're following the God that we follow, the example and the teachings of Jesus, that's real. That's history. That's science. That's it's absolute truth. We didn't make that up. But to live things authentically, to live our faith authentically means we do more than just kind of accept that mentally that it's true. We live it. This is actually what we live by. Here's, I hope, a fun way. I I think best in pictures. That's just kind of how I am. I hope this helps. So I grew up in south of the equator in Papua New Guinea. Let's go a little bit even further south to Australia. If you looked at the moon from Australia, it looks upside down from what it looks like here. That's a scientific fact. It's just you're looking at it from a different angle. The moon doesn't change. It's just it looks different. Okay? That's a fact. Okay? Here's another fact about Australia. The width of the entire continent or islands, basically a huge island, but so big it's a continent, okay? It's so wide that it's actually a little bit wider than the diameter of the moon. Those are authentic facts. How authentic is that in the sense that that that's going to matter to you the rest of your life? Like every day you're going to be walking around going, thank God, Australia is just a little bit wider than the diameter of the moon. That's not going to matter to you at all. It's a truth, but you're not living it. Does that make sense? We've got to do both. Uh, Years ago, there was a movie called Conspiracy Theory. Um, Julia Roberts is the main star. Mel Gibson plays this character that at the beginning of the story, if you've never seen it, I don't want to give it away too much. But at the beginning of the story, everybody, including her, is convinced this guy is just a lunatic, stalker out to get her. She's, she's afraid of him. He's weird. He has all these weird conspiracy theories. That's why the story is called that. By the, as the story progresses, though, she realizes that he's actually there to protect her. And almost everything that he was saying that sounded so crazy was true. One of the things we need to remember at this season is that to the rest of the world, the things that we know to be true are a little bit scary sometimes. We got to be gracious in that. That doesn't mean we back down. That doesn't mean we stop saying them or doing them. It means we got to be compassionate and understand that when it looks a little weird to them. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're laying all the foundation. Here we go. We're ready to go. Because here's the thing. When we come to church and when we all stand here week after week after week and we say these things, we sing these things, we celebrate these things, we pray these things, we explore these things in God's word, we get these certain expectations. Some of them are our own, but a lot of them are straight out of the Bible. For example, if I were to say, um, picture a fruit in your mind. Just do that for a second. Okay. How many of you pictured an apple? Okay, a bunch of you. That's what I thought. So, 
Imagine that you're coming to church and you expect Christians to look like this. What happens if you come to church and they look like this? What do you do when they don't meet your expectations? What do you do? Because here's, here's some of the thing. Now, this is nice and shiny and smooth. I mean, you can rub it on your face. You don't want to. That's weird. That's creepy. But you could, you could hold it, you could hold a mess of them and kill it. go about your business and it's okay, you're good. But if you try to, you know what I'm saying? These things are prickly, they're weird. You have to do a whole lot of work. You can just bite into an apple. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you gotta do a little bit of work to deal with a pineapple. What happens when our expectations, what happens when what we know that, our fellow believers are supposed to be doing don't happen. What what happens when we're trying to get close to each other? We're trying to practice the intimacy and all of that stuff, the accountability that God wants us to have, but their defenses keep us pretty far away. What happens when it's us? We're the prickly ones. How many know that in one way or another, it's always us as well as them? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what we're talking about today. The pineapple represents these questions. And I got to tell you two things really quick, and then we're just going to walk through God's word. Okay, two more things. This first day is always the day where we kind of lay down these foundations. I got to tell you that any relationship, even a Christian relationship, we're talking friendships, we're talking small groups, Sunday school classes, the church you attend, the team you serve with, whatever relationship, okay? Okay. It's going to be complicated. There's no easy button. It's going to be something that you keep working on the whole rest of your life. It's like getting a haircut. You might really like your haircut that day. A couple weeks later, you're going to have to get another one. Are you talking? You know what I'm saying? You take a shower. You go outside. You start sweating again. You got to take another shower. It's an, there's no one easy button and we just do this and boom, the rest of our life, we have the perfect relationship, the perfect everything. It's a cycle. You keep coming back. And having said that, there's three things that are always going to be in that cycle. And if they're in that cycle of how we approach everything, every relationship, every day, everything we do, if those three things are there, we're actually going to get somewhere. They're right there. Same with me. Pray. Love, serve. One more time. I really want this to just sink in. Pray, love, serve. And this even works when you're dealing with prickly people and the prickly stuff in yourself. It it, it has to, or it just doesn't work. Let's try another experiment. I ask about apples. If I were to say, imagine one of the disciples who's a little bit prickly. How many think Peter? Yeah, that's what I thought, okay? In fact, I, I heard yesterday we had a devotion at the men's breakfast about Peter and somebody said that's what their Sunday school class is talking about. Sometimes God just, I don't know, maybe it's an important thing. You should go back and read the story of Peter. I'm gonna zoom in on one moment of his life. The last night before Jesus went to die. Starts out the evening pretty well. They go to have the Passover meal together. Jesus is about to wash everybody's feet. It's this wonderful, beautiful moment. And you would think that it would just be shiny and wonderful and beautiful, and that's all there is to it. They have the 
Passover, they're looking back. He turns it into the first Lord's Supper. They're looking forward. All these guys have been in with him for three years. And then Jesus does this incredibly moving thing. And what's Peter do? Not going to wash my feet. Right? And then Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. So he says, okay, then wash my head, wash my whole body. Now it just got weird. Because Peter's like this. But he's still on Jesus' team, right? And as the night goes on, Jesus is telling them all these beautiful things. The the imagery of the vine and the branches and so much more that we hold on to. Talking about heaven in the future. Talking about so many wonderful things. All of this is happening as he's setting these last words. Chapter after chapter. Luke 22, John, John chapters 13 through 17. Just beautiful, beautiful stuff. And in the middle of it, they're talking about who's the greatest. Again, they're talking about who's going to betray him that night. Jesus tells Peter he's going to betray him. He said, oh no, I'll die first. Prickly. They go to the garden. Jesus asks him to pray for him. They keep falling asleep. The guards show up to arrest Jesus. Peter cuts one of their ears off. Prickly. Somehow or another, thank God, it's worth it to him to use prickly people. Or none of us would have a chance. But if you look, even in this moment, this famous moment, this this time, you're going to see these same things. Jesus doing these same things. For example, right after he tells Peter, you're going to deny me tonight, you will. He says this, but I prayed for you, Simon. That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You don't have to squint very hard to see the love in there. He's straight up saying, I prayed for you, Simon. Even before this moment, he was already praying about it. And when he comes back, what's he going to do? Strengthen his brothers. Serve. Say it one more time with me. Pray, love, serve. Say it like you mean it. Pray, love, serve serve. There we go. Again, same conversation. This is in the middle of the Lord's Supper. That first night they celebrated that. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, pay attention, make sure I'm getting this right. Jesus said to them again, come on you losers. Didn't you see me wash your feet a second ago? Hold on. Let me try that one more time. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Love. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. See, Jesus not only teaching this, but modeling this, even in a really tense time for him. Even when the people he's been training for three years are letting him down in multiple ways over and over and over within a couple of hours. Let's zoom in on prayer just a little bit. 
Actually, if you're interested in prayer, more prayer, and I hope you are, on the 13th, next Sunday night, Mike Steger and I are going to start a deep dive into prayer. It'll be a chance for you to come and pray, a time to be prayed for, and we're also going to be studying prayer. Just take a deep dive. We'll tell you more about that later. But this morning, I'd like you to just note this. At the heart of everything that Jesus tells us about prayer is that it's about a constant, relentless need that we have to resync ourselves with God and his will. That's what prayer is about. Uh, it's not a wish list. It's not us going and sitting on Jesus's lap with our Christmas list, like going to Santa. It's not any of that nonsense. It's actually us submitting to him. If you look really closely at anything Jesus said about praying alone or in small groups or in big groups or any of the stuff he said, you're going to see that. And you're going to see that we're changed more than anything else in prayer. For example, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many know what happens when you pray for somebody who's hurt you really, really badly? Somebody who's beyond prickly. They sometimes change, but you always do. Does that make sense? And when you extend love to them, sometimes they love you back, sometimes they don't. But you change. You become a more loving person. And when you serve them, sometimes they go, wow, what a wonderful person. And they serve you back. And sometimes they don't. But you become even more of a loving servant the same way Jesus was. The same way he taught us how to be and all that. Pray, love, serve. Say it with me. Ready? Pray, love, serve. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Don't have time to go super deep into theology there, but they already have the Holy Spirit in one way or another. What he's really praying for them is that they're open to it, that they submit to this kind of a cycle so that it's not just something they know. I have the Spirit of God in me. It's authentically something they're living out. They don't just believe that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in them. They're accessing that power and conquering sin and dealing with prickly people and the prickliness in themselves and they're getting over it. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit's going to show them how. That's wisdom. Revelation, exactly what God wants. And when we pray, I'll tell you this other thing about prayer real quick. We need to pray expectantly. Uh, Otherwise, a lot of times we're just like uh, Rhoda and some other people in Acts 12. Great story. You've probably heard it. If you haven't, you need to just read the whole thing. Acts 12. It's awesome. It's a story about Peter's in prison. They think he's going to get killed the next day. And everybody in the church in Jerusalem is praying for them. And a bunch of of them have gathered in this one house. And they're praying that God will miraculously save him. They don't know how, but they're just praying for it. Well, God miraculously saves him. He blows their mind. He sends an angel, lets him go. It's this whole really cool story. You need to see it. But then he gets to the house 
and he knocks on their door and the servant girl comes and she's so shocked, she just slams the door in his face and goes in and says, Peter's outside. I'm, I'm not making this up. Acts chapter 12, it's right in the Bible. And they go, what? Why didn't you let him in? What's going on? What? what? Wait, wait, Peter? And then they go to the door and there, he's still standing there. And they let him in. They're like, what happened? We were just here praying that God had set you free. Yeah. Ephesians, Paul continues, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Again, that surpasses knowledge. That means it's bigger than what we can understand. And it also, it's not just something we know, it's something we do. It's authentic in all of the ways. You'll know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I spent the whole summer on love. If you missed that, please go back and check it out or check it out somewhere else. You need to know it, even if you want to hear somebody else besides me teach on it, but it's important and you need it and it's big. But I'm not going to spend that much time on it because we were just there. But I'll say this. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to love God's way. It's the Holy Spirit who puts his fruit in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you or the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know more straight out of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 and John 13 are great places to start. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we marinated in it all summer long. It's what's often called the love chapter. It's Paul talking about God's love that he wants to grow in us. John 13 is where we started just a few minutes ago. It's this beginning of Jesus' last night before he went to the cross. John 13, it starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then it continues. We just talked about that a few minutes ago and it's where Jesus said things like this. A new command I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. All of that is in John 13. Let's go to Galatians. Paul says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I'll stop there for just saying. There's actually two, but I'll tell you this, God's favorite way, if you look through all the teachings of Jesus, all the Old Testament laws, all that, and you squint just a tiny bit, you'll see God's favorite, favorite way for us to show us, show him our love for him is to love others to to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength is to love your neighbor as yourself those are inseparable if you authentically love God with everything you've got you have to love other people those aren't two separate things it's it's all connected that's what Paul's talking about here. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 5, we're going to look at this a lot over the, over the next couple weeks. 
I'm mostly just going to read it straight through at this point. But as I do this time, it should sound familiar. But if you would, just listen. See if you don't hear embedded in all of these words that pray, love, serve. See if you don't see that cycle in here. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I'm going to read the list. But I want you to notice here just how selfish every one of these are. Every one of the fruits, every one of the gifts are things that we do for others, do for God. Every one of the sins is stuff that we're turning that around, counterfeiting all those things and gifts and things, beauty and processes in our bodies and everything else. And we're turning around making it all about us. That's why they're sinful. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Those are... Big words, we'll unpack them as we go, but basically anything that's not one man, one woman married is sin in God's economy. Everybody got that? We don't need to go into all the details this morning, but that's the bottom line. All those other terms, it's, it's anything but that. Acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Look at how many are about the prickly stuff. I'm just going to hold this up while I read this one. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Think this might be a problem, all this prickly stuff in all of us? Yeah. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or otherwise often called patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Of course there can't be, because all the laws are about serving God and serving other people. There can't be a law that supports being selfish and just serving yourself. Galatians Continues, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we come to the third thing in, the, in, it, in this cycle, this never-ending cycle, serve. The Holy Spirit also not only gives us these fruits, the fruit of the Spirit that he produces in us, but he also gives us gifts. He gives us abilities that will, are meant to be used. And if, you, if you, you hadn't heard me say it yet, listen, let me say it one more time. Every one of the gifts of the Spirit is to be used. And every one of the fruit of the Spirit is a way that you reach out to other people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love God and love others. That's what he does. Again, we're going to marinate in how that works and get deep in all the details as we go over the next couple, couple weeks. But one more time, let me just bring out my pineapple for a second. 
I'm one of the rare people that actually just really likes pineapple, like straight up. Like I bought this the other day. I actually saw some of you at the grocery store when I was buying this. I bought this. I'm looking forward to just cutting it up and basically eating it. Like I'll probably even leave a little bit of the prickly stuff because I just don't care. But I'm rare. If you like pineapple at all, you know what probably you do? You probably meticulously get every bit of prickly off. And then you, or, or maybe you buy, buy it already cooked. Somebody else did it for you. Maybe you only like a little bit of pineapple juice in the middle of a whole bunch of other pineapple juice. Maybe you like pineapple upside down cake, pineapple ice cream, pineapple on your pizza. You know, I don't want to start any divisions or factions. We know that's a sin. <laughs> but the point is, for, for this to be really useful, you've got to get rid of all of that other stuff. And I'm just going to be straight up with you. I think one of the most effective ways for us to get rid of all the prickly stuff is to serve together. When we use the gifts we've been given and we're side by side with some other brothers and sisters in Christ, we're locked into a relationship, a family relationship, a small group, whatever it is. When we are doing something in the community, doing something for our brothers and sisters here, when we're working together, there's this friction that happens and there's this constant reminder about how we got to live this way. And all of this stuff that's authentically true starts to be authentically lived out almost automatically or the whole thing's over. You have to figure this out if you serve together. That's why today is we've got this ministry fair. It's not just we have some things we need done. Hey, how can we do that? This is Christianity 101. This is how it works. God designed us to serve. He designed us to constantly sync ourselves with him. That's prayer. To constantly sync ourselves with him and each other. That's love. And then together with his power and all of us together using the gifts and the fruit that the spirit has given us, we serve others. And when we keep doing that, as crazy as that sounds, that is the best possible way to get over all the prickly stuff. If we just try to suck it up and deal with it, it's going to take forever. If you just decide to work side by side with that person anyway, you're probably going to get somewhere. Paul says, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And all these gifts, in one way or another, again, serve the only exceptions are the ones that mobilize everybody else. Notice this one. It's not really an exception. It just kind of sounds like it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Some of the most visible gifts are meant to be used just to mobilize everybody else. And sometimes we think, oh, if only, if only, if I was a really good Christian, I would be a teacher. Some of you, that's exactly who God made you to be. There's a teacher sign-up list out there. 
Some of you think, oh, I just wish God would reveal some stuff to me and give me a word for somebody and I'd be a problem. Okay, great. You know, you know how you can tell if this is really happening well, how these people are using their gifts well? God's people are mobilized to do works of service. That's what those gifts are for. So I'm doing my best. We'll see how this works. I'm trying to mobilize you there today. I'm inviting you today to, as always, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we'd love for you to do that today. I, 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 can I just be just heartfelt like straight up? I haven't been lying to you at once this morning, but this is just me laying it all on the table. You cannot love this way without God. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. You cannot be forgiven and be able to forgive the way God set it all up unless you follow Jesus into the cross and the waters of baptism and everywhere on beyond. You cannot follow Jesus just by believing it. You've got to do something about it. That's what it means to believe it. That's what means your faith is authentic. Not just that it's true, but that's what you live by. And today, if you've got something you need to make public or you just want to pray about, come forward or go to the back. But right after this, I'm begging you, there's another altar call going to happen out there. Would you go? Would you pray? God, where do you want me to serve? We need everybody. Everybody.